Welcome to the podcast of Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now you will hear Pastor Rich preach the sermon, The Owner of the Vineyard, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. We pray that God would use this sermon to speak to you directly. And now to Pastor Rich. I want you to imagine for a minute owning a business that you've poured all your energy, all your life, all your passion into, and all of a sudden you get word that you gotta leave town for an extended period of time. Since you have to leave town, you decide that someone needs to run your business, but there's an issue. The person you want running your business, you want them to be conscientious, right? You want them to do a good job. You want them to run it as if you were running it. So you decide to make a deal with the people who are gonna run your business. You tell them, look, you can run this business as if it's your own. Then you can share some of the profits with me. And by owning a portion of it or running it like it's your own, you'll do a really good job. And then you can just share some of the profits. So after a couple of years, you send a messenger over to get your portion of the profits. And the people who are running the business decide to beat your messengers up and they even kill some of them. My question for you this morning is, how would you react to that situation? I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, as we continue in that verse-by-verse study. As you're turning there, real quick, let's catch up from last week. Last week, we learned about forgiveness and Jesus' authority as the king over his kingdom. Mark 11 did not say that our eternal destiny weighs in because of if we forgive somebody or not. What it teaches is that our prayer life and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can be hindered if we withhold forgiveness from someone else. Also, by withholding forgiveness from someone else, we miss the grace that God wants to give us. Because unforgiveness, we all know, causes bitterness within our lives. The day after Jesus had cleansed the temple, the king of the temple himself arrives at his own royal house And the religious leaders decide that they're going to question his authority. By whose authority are you coming in here teaching? And basically what we said is if what John the Baptist had told them were true, then Jesus has all authority over the temple, over the word of God, and over their very lives. But the thing is, if the religious leaders would not accept John's word, why would Jesus give them any further revelation whatsoever? And so the religious leaders are posed with a question from Jesus. And so he said, Jesus asked them, so John, what his message, was it from men or was it from God? And this is how they answered. If we say it was from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's from men, they feared the people for all had counted John the Baptist as a prophet come from God. And so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And which showed us they were not actual seeking the truth. What they were doing was trying to win the argument. And so what we said, we ended saying, just as faith and a lack of it is an obstacle with our relationship with God, so is unforgiveness and bitterness. They can hinder our prayers and our relationship with Christ. And so today, Jesus is going to teach a parable about Israel's rebellion against him. And as he's doing this, 
The religious leaders, true to form, try to set another trap. So if you have your sermon notes, there in your bulletin, Roman numeral one, how Israel treated the Old Testament prophets. If your Bibles are open, Mark chapter 12, let's begin with verse one. Mark 12, one, then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent them another servant. And at him, they threw stones, wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another and him they killed and many others, beating some and killing others. Now, this is like crop sharing, and crop sharing was used in Israel in ancient times, and it's still used a little bit today in farming communities. When I was in Plains, Kansas, I saw this all over the place. But a crop share lease is basically where the owner of the land and the farmer make an agreement to split all the cost, and then they have some sort of split on the produce that is that comes from the land. The Lord was really specific with Israel in the Old Testament law about when they could eat the produce and when they could gather the produce and all those different things. In fact, in Leviticus 19, it says this. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But on the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. There in your notes, Warren Wiersbe said, in order to retain his legal rights to the property, the owner had to receive produce from the tenants, even if it was just some vegetables that grew between the rows of the trees or vines. So this explains why the tenants in this parable did not want to give the landowner any of its fruit, because after a certain amount of time, he would lose rights to his land. So here's my question. Why did Jesus use a vineyard in this parable? Great question. All through the Psalms in Isaiah chapter five, Israel is called the Lord's vineyard, the Lord's vineyard. Isaiah 5, 4. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that no rain will rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. So again, a title back in those days was kind of questionable. So if the owner of the property had nothing to do with the property for more than three years, he could actually lose his right to that property. And so we see throughout the Old Testament how the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell his people Israel to straighten up. But the people forsook the prophets. 
And they continued in their rebellion against God. And they hardened their hearts. There in your notes. The persecution of the Old Testament prophets happened in different ways. Whether it was by rejection, being imprisoned, being ridiculed, physical violence, and even death. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples. Remember the story of Elijah. After Elijah has that great Mount Carmel experience, and then Queen Jezebel gets mad at him and kind of, he runs away and he hides himself in a cave. Amos was told never to preach about God again in Bethel. Never prophesy again. Zechariah was put to death for correcting people for worshiping Azurah pools and different idols. And so the people of Israel beat and chased away and even killed many of the prophets. Jesus himself said these words in Matthew chapter 23. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You might remember the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts. When Stephen was before the religious leaders, he gave a speech. And this is what he said. Acts 751. You stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so, too. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You wonder why they killed Stephen? Say that to the religious leaders and see how that works out. So here in our passage, the owner of the vineyard was very patient with these people and he sends a messenger. Hey, give me part of the produce. You've been growing grapes. Give me part of the produce. I need my rent. And what the people who were renting the vineyard thought, well, he's not physically here. So he's going to be patient with us and he'll send a couple more messengers and we'll just kill him off and eventually we'll own the land. So my question, how can we apply this to ourselves today? Right? Because that's the bottom line, right? Give me the so what. How do we apply this parable to us today? There in your notes. Today, The Lord is still pursuing lost people as he sends messenger after messenger to them, communicating his unfailing love, forgiveness, and offering the lost eternal life. Jesus wants lost people to recognize who they are, what their position is apart from Christ. He wants their independent attitudes and their self-sufficiency to be broken in Christ And he sends messenger after messenger after messenger. You know, I've always said that when we die, if we've not received Christ, it's almost like Jesus has sent every single person into your life. And he's almost begging you to receive his free gift of salvation. And if you end up apart from Christ for eternity, you have no one to blame but yourself. No one's going to be able to stand before the throne of God and say, I never heard That won't be true. Jesus wants all to come to the gospel and be saved, but not all will. All right, so Roman numeral two, the final messenger from God, the final one. Look at verse six. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them at last saying, they will respect my son. 
But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Ouch. Again, remember what the law said in Leviticus, right? Three years, the fruit's uncircumcised. The fourth year, it's the Lord's. The fifth year, you can eat. This is what Wearsby said. If Mark 12, 2 through 5 covers the three years when the fruit was not to be used, then this passage is the fourth year that the beloved son was sent. There in your notes. This is the year when the fruit was devoted to the Lord. It makes the sending of the son even more meaningful. Again, if the owner had nothing to do with the property for three full years, he was in danger of losing his right to it. And so in this parable, the tenants think, well, he's sending his son. If we just kill off the air, he'll stop sending messengers now. He sent all these messengers. We beat some. We killed some. And now here's the son. Kill him, too. And he'll lose his claim and we'll own the vineyard. They apparently thought by killing the son that now the owner of the vineyard is just going to lay down and play dead. And as he's telling this parable, imagine Jesus. This is leading up to the cross. He knows it's coming. This very week, he's going to take the cross. And he knows. And as he's telling this parable to Israel, he's like, guys, I'm the son of the owner of the vineyard. It's me. I'm here. Uh, imagine the distress in Jesus saying, these are my people whom I love. And yet they're so blind. And you see, for these religious leaders, they're afraid to lose their power and their position. They don't want to hear any of it. They know who Jesus is at this point. They, they know all the prophecies. They know they've seen the miracles. They've heard all of it. And yet they refuse. The Gospel of John, chapter 11, 45 says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council together and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Forget about eternity. We're going to lose our power. We're going to lose our position. That's the problem here, boys. Who cares about eternity? There in your notes, Spurgeon said, if you do not hear the well-beloved son of God, you have refused the last hope. He is God's ultimatum. Nothing remains, catch this, nothing remains when Christ is refused. He's the only way. No one else can be sent. Even heaven itself contains no other way. It's Jesus. And if you refuse Jesus, there's nothing left. And, and again, notice verse 8, so they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And again, the soon-to-be-killed Son of God knows this is the vineyard. I'm the son and you're going to kill me. And he's telling them ahead of time. You know, when asked the same question in Matthew's gospel, this is what we're told. 
Matthew 21, 41, they, that's the religious leader, said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. And so here in Mark, Jesus is telling the same thing. I'm going to take the vineyard away from you and give it to other vine dressers. I'm going to take it away. All right, so here's a really neat one. Roman numeral three, the cornerstone. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Wearsby said that the stone was a well-known symbol of the Messiah. The servant judge had a double verdict here. They had not only rejected the son, they rejected the chief cornerstone. Here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is actually quoting an Old Testament passage from 800 years prior to this out of Psalms 118. It was written by King David. By the way, Psalm 118 is the same fulfillment we had for the Palm Sunday passage. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, blessed is he who comes into the name of the Lord. And they shouted, Hosanna, Psalm 118. There in your notes. Psalm 118, 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The baby is glad in it. Mm. Out of the mouth of babes, he has ordained praise. If you won't say amen, she will. Do you know that Psalm 118, there's not another passage in the Old Testament that's quoted more in the New Testament than Psalm 118? Isn't that something? And it's about the chief cornerstone, and it's about the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Peter quoted it to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. Paul quoted it in Romans and in Ephesians. And Jesus had just finished telling these religious leaders about the parable about the vineyard. And basically saying, you guys are the vine dressers. And now he's telling them this prophecy about the chief cornerstone. The passage says, and they knew he was talking against them. They knew. So they're, they're picking up what he's laying down, right? There's another passage about a stone in the book of Daniel. Maybe you remember years back when we went through the book of Daniel. That Daniel had this dream about this huge stone that took out the feet of Nebuchadnezzar's image. Maybe you remember that. Daniel 2.34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away that there was no trace of them found there in your notes. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this stone that's cut without hands, imagine this great stone cut without hands, takes out and shatters this confederation of kings that represent all the Gentile powers. And this is all going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon. Because Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. 
Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is obviously claiming to be the chief cornerstone. And again, if they weren't mad at him enough, now he's saying, I am the chief cornerstone. Everything hinges on me and you have rejected me. And they knew exactly what he was saying. There's no other stone. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders. Jesus is the chief cornerstone who made the world and everything in it. And they are rejecting him. But he's coming back someday in victory. And every eye will see. And every knee will bow. Some in humble worship. And some destroyed. I want to tell you an interesting story that many of the commentators tell. And I was going to credit one commentator, but 10 of them tell this story. But it's about Solomon's temple. It seems that there was a quarry in a different location than Solomon's temple. And they were hewing out these stones. And they were numbering them and sending them over to the temple site. And so the temple was built in such a way that the stones were so precise that they couldn't even take mortar in between them. And so they're sending stones and sending stones. And all of a sudden, they send this specific stone and it has no number on it. And so the builders are looking at it and they don't know what to do with it. And it's not fitting as they're building the temple. And so they throw it aside. As the men are completing the temple, a day finally comes when they need the capstone, the cornerstone. And so they send word back to the quarry and said, please send the cornerstone to us. And the men at the quarry said, we already have. We can't find it. I don't know what to tell you. We've already sent it. So they go back and forth and back and forth. And soon enough, one guy remembers. Wait a minute. There was that one stone way back months ago that we threw aside. But by this time, brush had grown over it. And so they have to clean it all out. And sure enough, wouldn't you know, it was the chief cornerstone that was sent ahead of time. That's what they say that Psalms 118 was written about, was the chief cornerstone. That story, they say, is a true story from Solomon's temple. I wasn't there, so I can't verify it. Spurgeon said, still do the builders refuse him. Even to this day, professional preachers and teachers of the gospel are far too apt to preach a watered down gospel and refuse to say that people have refused the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, he holds the true position amongst his people. And those foolish builders will see their confusion someday. And notice it says... And they knew that this was spoken against them. They knew it. There in your notes. The Holy Spirit convicted these religious leaders that Jesus was who he claimed to be. But notice what they did. Instead of repenting, they sought to lay hands on him. We do that, don't we? We hear the evidence we hear about Jesus, and we're really faced with two choices. We can go with what the Holy Spirit's convicting us and say, yes, Lord, I submit. Or we can harden our hearts and refuse the chief cornerstone. The problem with that is there are consequences for that choice. And they went away and they plotted the murder of the chief cornerstone. 
They thought Jesus was this dangerous revolutionary that's going to split apart Israel and cause Rome to come in and finally destroy them because of this new doctrine he was preaching. And again, the motivation out of John 11. And the Romans will come and take both our place and our nation. And that's why we can't have Messiah. We will lose everything. So let's get practical this morning. Israel had this huge history of ignoring all of God's messengers and all the prophets as God communicated them. Maybe you remember the time when Israel was in the desert for 40 years and they complained against Moses and the Lord because there was no water. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10.1. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Catch this. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And this is talking about the Old Testament now. And that rock was Christ. Right there, Paul says, when Moses and the children were out in the desert in the Old Testament, they all drank of the rock. And that rock was Christ. And despite all the blessings and all the privileges to the nation of Israel, they would not trust the Lord. Despite God telling him over and over again, I got this. Fear not. I got this. Don't worry. I haven't brought you this far to kick you off the cliff. They complained and they murmured. None of us do that, right? None of us do that. You know, but this is going on and you don't understand. But no, maybe I don't. But God does. And God said you're his and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But, but, but. And I'm only telling you this because I'm guilty, right? I'm guilty of this myself. And you can all raise your hand. I know you're guilty. You don't even have to admit it. We believe God when everything's going so well. And then the moment something, oh, but not this one. You know, God's big enough to come to earth and to die for my sins, but he's not big enough to take care of my daughter. God's big enough for all this, but he's not big enough to take care of this issue. Yes, he is. And despite all the blessings and all the promises, they doubted God. When Matthew recorded this same parable in Mark 12, he added this. Catch this, Matthew 21, 44. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. There in your notes. The choice given to these religious leaders in the parable of the wicked vine dressers is the same choice given to every person in this room as well as every person in the world. When Jesus was explaining to his disciples that he was going back to heaven and, and they were all wound up about it, he said this in John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, 
because the ruler of this world is judged. So there it is. When the Holy Spirit convicts us and tells us the truth about Jesus, we have to make a choice. I said this last week. You can say, I'm going to make no choice. Well, then you are making a choice not to follow. You have to make a choice. There is no, I don't want it right now. No, no. It's yes or no. There's no maybe here. Jesus predicted to these Hebrews that the kingdom was going to be taken from them and given to someone else. You know, the gospel was first preached to the Jews and they refused. And so it went to the Gentiles. Now, don't get that wrong, that God is somehow done with the Jews because Romans very clearly says, may it never be. There's coming a day that the remnant will be saved. But Jesus, the creator of the world, the cornerstone sent by God the Father to his vineyard, and they said, no, thank you. And they went further than saying, no, thank you. They cast him out and hung him on a cross. There in your notes. If you receive Jesus's pardon and free gift of salvation, you are essentially falling on the rock and you will be broken of your pride. But the power of sin and shame will be broken as well. If you receive Christ, you have a new life, a rich life. But if you refuse him, you will fall under his judgment and he will grind you to powder. You have a choice. And, and again, it's the same choice. You get to choose what kind of relationship you want with Jesus. Do you want him as savior or judge? That's your choice. We are qualified because of what Jesus did for every blessing from the Lord, not based on what we've done. Paul said in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, catch this, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We're not qualified to be God's kids based on our performance. We're not qualified to be God's kids because the family we were born into. Even Billy Graham said, God has no grandchildren. We're qualified to be partakers of his grace because of what Jesus did. Finally, there in your notes, being righteous or having a right standing with God is the only qualification we need. And righteousness is a free gift we receive when we receive Christ who becomes our righteousness. You know, God has given us all we need for life and godliness. And it's such, so ironic. I, I think of Jesus in just mere days from this scene. He's going to be judged. All those false trials, all the false accusations. And he's going to be hung on a cross. And he knows this. Being God, he foreknows what's about to happen. And yet he cares enough to tell Israel these parables. He says, what you're going to do to the, the vineyard owner is this. And by the way, the chief cornerstone which the builders rejected that's me. And you're rejecting me. It's almost like Jesus would say, what more do I have to do to convince you? What more? What more can be done? Well, if God just came, here I am, Jesus would say. What more needs to be done? You know, I guess that's the question for everyone in eternity. Again, as you're confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ, no thank you. Or yes, I will. That's your choice this morning. 
I would feel so bad if you walked out of here and didn't hear the way to have eternal life. Every week, I don't care what the passage says, where it goes, I need to tell you that there's a way to be saved and there's a way that Jesus would save you and pay for your sins. And all it is is, yes, Lord. And so this morning, for those of us who know Jesus, this is an amen, because we know, right? Jesus rose on the third day and we could say, hallelujah, the chief cornerstone came out of, busted out of that cave. The stone was rolled away and here came Jesus. For those of us who don't know him, we have to make a choice. And unfortunately, here, here's the sad part about a message like this. There are some who will say no thank you and walk out of here. And my heart breaks. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and every week we'll be in the back. We would love to pray for you. And I never want to do fire and brimstone, but I'm always going to tell you the truth. If you ever think you're going to walk in here and I'm going to lie to you, that's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you the truth, even if it's hard to hear. But Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He was willing to take the brutalization and the cross to prove it to you. Thank you for listening to Pastor Rich preach the sermon, The Owner of the Vineyard, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. You can be part of our Sunday service in person or online every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Watch our live stream on our website, YouTube, or Facebook page. Our website is livingfaithklamath.com. That is livingfaithklamath.com. To find our Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram profile, simply search for Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. That is Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. You can also find these links in the description of this week's episode. If you want to show your appreciation, you can tell others about us, subscribe to our podcast, and you can also leave a review so more people can hear the Word of God. Thank you again, and God bless you.